0: Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute Weekly Podcast,
1: the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Hey, welcome back! I appreciate you joining me here again today on the Laser Therapy Institute podcast. What we do is we bring you information about light and laser therapies, or photobiomodulation, as well as interviews with experts in the fields or in related fields. And today we have somebody with us, a special guest who is an expert in musculoskeletal ultrasound. And this is really interesting because if you've been on this podcast with me for any amount of time, you've heard me mention musculoskeletal ultrasound in regard to tissue repair with light and laser therapies. So before we get into that, let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. Dr. Randy Moore is a chiropractor. He graduated from Palmer College of Chiropractic in 1986. He's also a licensed chiropractor in a couple of different states and a certified medical assistant. He holds multiple ultrasound certifications through the American Registry of Diagnostic Medical Sonographers, including ultrasound physics and neurosonography, and musculoskeletal ultrasound. He attained registered diagnostic musculoskeletal ultrasound status in 2012, which was the moment it became available. He has more than a dozen publications and two books and currently teaches diagnostic ultrasound through MSK Masters, an online and in-person program to teach clinicians about using ultrasound in practice, as well as preparing them for the RMSK exams. So, Dr. Moore, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. I'm excited to have you here.
0: Okay, thank you, Jason. Glad to be
1: here. I like to get a little bit of background on our guests, and I like to go pretty far back. So, can you tell me a little bit about what interested you in chiropractic originally?
0: Uh, I come from a family of chiropractors. Uh, my dad was a chiropractor, uh, my brother was a chiropractor, and then I have a, a cousin who is still practicing chiropractic. So, it been kind of a family thing.
1: Okay. That's a pretty common story. I hear that one a good bit uh, that they've had and chiropractic in the family. It seems to be a little bit contagious. So, uh, you know, obviously you've been a chiropractor for, for many years, but you've also been involved with ultrasound for a long time. How did you kind of start to get interested in ultrasound? You know, was it art? Were you in chiropractic school? Were you in practice? How did that kind of happen for you?
0: Uh, I was, I was in practice actually. It was, um, kind of a serendipitous moment. I, um, was, it was a Saturday morning um, and a few patients didn't show up for their appointments. And uh, so I sat down and I was reading this chiropractic journal and there was a small, small article in there about a another chiropractor that was, that was using diagnostic ultrasound to look at the paraspinal structures. And for some odd reason, which I'd never thought about ultrasound before, diagnostic ultrasound, it's just like riveted me uh with my attention and uh so i just for i just had to go check it out and so he was in minnesota and so like i don't know maybe maybe a month later i was in minnesota visiting this guy and a month after that i had an ultrasound system in my office and i just started using it and um was amazed at what i could see with the paraspinal structures um you know as and it was definitely more of an adjunct to me than you know than what X-ray was because I could I, it was easier to see pre and post changes with ultrasound, you mm. know. So um, I just started using it in that regard, and then um, over the, uh, the next several years, um, I started uh, trying to find uh, information about scanning the extremities, and it just wasn't out there. And I think I found one very limited book on a, a guy that had done some work um, on the shoulder, and so I just started working on it and trying to figure out, you know, working on some protocols and uh, ended up with the materials that I have. And then, you know, this over the years has grown into what it is now.
1: That's really, really interesting. You're kind of on the pioneering side of that then. Um, And obviously, you know, being in that first round of musculoskeletal ultrasound certification, I mean, that's pretty amazing right there that you were on the forefront at that level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, Actually, they gave us a little pin that when we passed the test. Like that we were we RMSK pioneers. Um, and one one thing to mention was that uh, I was actually uh, invited to to help write that exam when it first came out, and uh, I declined to to be able to do that because they said if I if I wrote the test, I couldn't teach people how to pass the test. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I understand little no conflict of interest there, but I was like. Now, I think I want to, like, you know, go the other route and be a teacher. So that's what I did.
1: Okay. So obviously being able to use this in practice, but, you know, and then become certified now actually teaching this skill. And I should clarify for people listening, you know, we're not talking about a therapeutic ultrasound here, like you'll see in a PT clinic. Uh, We're talking diagnostic ultrasound, which a lot of people have heard of or had for things like pregnancy or arterial uh, issues, uh, vascular issues we're talking about using it for the soft tissues and actually creating an, an image, a diagnostic image of these different soft tissues, muscles, tendons, and so forth.
0: Right. Uh, Actually, in in reality, a a very accurate, highly detailed image, um, the uh, ultrasound systems that are available to you and I, like in our clinics nowadays, which are, they're portable, they're small, which is, you know, they're not the big hospital uh, units you see rolling down the hallway in a hospital. Um, but those, uh, the system that you and I use are, um, they're software based, they're, they, they have software written to, to create those images. Um, but that's not to say that our systems are inferior to the ones you see in the hospital, they really aren't. Um, they, you, you and I produce very high quality, reliable images to base diagnosis on.
1: So I think that's going to be the first time a lot of people have probably heard that because there's not a lot. Like you mentioned, when you got started, there was like no information. And even now, there's not that much. I know I got a, a few hours in school where we talked about it and looked at some, but very little overall, especially compared to the amount of uh, x-ray and even MRI that I got when I was in school. I was 12 years ago. I'm, I'm sure that's improved some by now, but it's, it's still not part of the standard curriculum. That's for sure. So, mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the most common uses that you see people use musculoskeletal ultrasound for in practice? What are some of the common scans or, or the common pathologies that people will look at with ultrasound?
0: Um, well, most commonly, I mean, they, they, they can use it as an as, as excellent diagnostic tool, but uh, typically what people, um, you know, unless they're chiropractors like you and I, um, they spend a lot of time looking at knees and shoulders. Those are probably the two, um, two primary sites that they find themselves being interested in. And then their, their interest grows from there. But as far as shoulder imaging, um, years and years ago, but like um, if I would have approached, or when I did, okay, when I did approach an orthopedic surgeon about um, ultrasound to look at the rotator cuff, he, he just told me there's, there's no way you can't do that. And now um, they use ultrasound frequently to uh, evaluate the rotator cuff, you know, uh, because the scanning protocols do a great job with that and, and look at it um, actually in much more detail than what you can uh, in many ways with MRI. By, by example, like uh, for ultrasound examination of the rotator cuff, I consider it a stress exam. It's basically because ultrasound that we use is real-time imaging, and so we can't actually um, position the patient in certain, certain ways to actually stress the tendons of the rotator cuff, which in MRI, um, they can't, you just lay in there in the tube in a neutral posture. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, that's one of the advantages that we have with ultrasound for rotator cuff examination. Uh, on the knee, um, one of the things people probably don't have a lot of confidence in, but it really is true, um, you can see meniscal pathology uh, with ultrasound, especially the most common site of medial meniscus pathology is the posterior horn of the medial meniscus. And our ultrasound protocol takes us right there to that specific site.
1: That's excellent. That's really well, and I know, yeah. I mean, you're not gonna see that on x-ray. And getting insurance approval for an MRI can sometimes be really difficult. A lot of times you've got to have your x-rays that are essentially negative. The patient has to fail six weeks of conservative care. Uh, You know, that you have to demonstrate like a lot to get the MRI uh, in the first place, which really delays timely care for some of these patients. I'll give you one example from when I was brand new in practice. I had a patient come in. I did all my orthopedic testing that I learned in school. Um, We took... um, And did a couple of treatments and they weren't getting better. And I thought, you know what, this is definitely a rotator cuff tear, I need to get this MRI. And the insurance company would not approve, you know, a $3,000 MRI, you know, with contrast and everything until we also had a negative x ray. So now I had to radiate this patient for, for no real good reason. Obviously, we didn't see anything. And then I had to treat them for a while. Uh, before we could finally get the insurance to, to pay for the MRI and then off they went to surgery. It was a very delayed process. If I had had the ability to whip out the ultrasound right there and demonstrate that tear, I could have referred that patient in a much more timely fashion for the patient. Um, they would have been happier with me. The surgeon would have been happier, I'm sure. The patient would have been much happier. Um, so it's a, it's a great tool if, if what you're saying is true. Can you really do that? I think, I think a lot of people have a lot of doubt I know from taking your courses and being able to actually look at these structures uh, under ultrasound now for a while, it's incredibly useful. So I thought we'd talk about a study that does include both laser therapy and ultrasound, diagnostic ultrasound for the rotator cuff. And so you, you've looked at this study, you've seen this. um, And uh, I've done a, a podcast on this particular, on this particular study already, but in this study, they brought patients in, And they use the diagnostic ultrasound to evaluate for partial tears of the rotator cuff. Uh, This study is titled the effectiveness of high intensity laser therapy in the treatment of post stroke patients with hemiplegic shoulder pain, a prospective randomized controlled study. And, And so taking these patients, evaluating them not only for pain, but then using the ultrasound to get an image of the rotator cuff tendon, and then they would treat half of their participants with laser therapy and exercise And the other half of the participants only had a sham laser and exercise. And and what they saw at the end of this study was that the patients who got laser therapy not only felt better, but actually had documentable visual repair of the rotator cuff tendon under ultrasound. And that, um, you know, there's a lot to disbelieve in that statement right there. One, you're using ultrasound to look at the rotator cuff and evaluate tears both before and after. And then two, that laser therapy actually stimulated a a documentable repair uh, in that rotator cuff tendon. Um, You know, does that even sound, I mean, to you, does that even sound realistic to be able to use ultrasound in the first place to evaluate a repair like that?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely so. Um, And I can objectify that answer as well. Um, I've had the privilege over the last several years to teach uh, MSK ultrasound classes at, at, University of California, San Diego. And, um, they're very, uh, research oriented there. Actually, it's just it's like part of the, like the professors i worked with, like, you know, it's that classic thing, you know, you, you publish or perish, you know, it's like, uh, you, if you don't publish papers, you know, then you're probably not going to be a tenured professor, you know? <laughs> and, um, so we, I was actually a co-author of a study that was published, I think in 2018, um, semi-curriculum vitae, but it was um, 2018, I believe it was a, a, a double-blinded study um, uh, between ultrasound and uh, MRI uh, for soft tissue characterization. And the results of the study showed um, that uh, ultrasound was more sensitive for soft tissue characterization than MRI. You know, and then you couple that again with what I previously said w- with the way that we looked at the rotator cuff. Uh, under diagnostic ultrasound, or scan, our typical scanning protocol is simply based on patient positioning that tendon is not in a neutral, non-active state. And so we, we get, we can actually identify smaller defects, more subtle defects and findings uh, than the MRI does.
1: Okay. And I, I'll even read a line from that study. They say that in order to determine the tear size, um, the maximum Anteroposterior diameter of the rotator cuff was measured in a transverse view, which is perpendicular to the long axis of the cuff. And that was taken in a seated position with a hand placed on the lower back, shoulder extended and internally rotated. Now, like you said, in a in an MRI, you're just laying there. You know, you have to be completely still, you can't be dynamic. Um, this is very different. The, the patient's hands actually on their back with the shoulder extended and then internally rotated. So that really changes the, the, the way that the anatomy looks like you're saying, puts it under strain. Another thing that I know you um, you teach a lot is to be able to demonstrate normal anatomy whenever possible so that you're not going in there to hunt for, you know, a pathology you think is there. And so, you know, if, if you're positioning the patient in this really specific way, well, well, tell me about why that matters. Why does the position matter? Why does looking for normal anatomy, why does that matter when you're looking at ultrasound?
0: Well, um, you know, it, it's one thing to do your orthopedic testing um, uh, on a patient. And, and, and that's great, you know, to, to do those things. And they, they are indicators, but, they're, but they're, not, they're not positive identifiers, you know. They're simply indications, and and there is some. I think, if we're all honest, there's there's some variability in what those findings really show us. And so, you know, the old thing of a a picture's worth a thousand words is uh, plays true here as well. But you know, uh, as far as like not hunting the pathology, what I teach is to try and make the image look as normal as you can by using specific um, acoustic landmarks. uh, So that what we are doing is we we have we have reproducible images from one, one, one person doing the images, uh, to the next. So like when you do your shoulder examination, your images should look just like mine, you know? And so by not trying to hunt pathology, trying to make it look normal, then we objectify the finding instead of you trying to find out what you suspect, you let you, you follow the protocol and let the ultrasound image basically speak for itself, you know? And then you objectify the findings. And sometimes the findings are less severe than you anticipate, or sometimes they're more severe. And so that you really do end up with more useful information um, than if if you didn't, if you didn't do those images, you know? So that's why it's important.
1: Excellent. Yeah. I I think there's a lot of value to being able to have reproducible imaging i think that's an important thing and you know that's that's not too difficult on x-ray for most of us um but when it comes to producing good images you you certainly need to be doing that if you've got ultrasound and it's definitely not something you can just pick up and start doing you can't just throw a transducer on somebody and be like oh here we go I, i know exactly what's going on here there's there is a learning curve um, and we'll talk about your your program here in a little bit. But um, before we get into really kind of what you're doing and, and the program you have to help clinicians learn about this, I wanted to mention one more study um with plantar fasciitis. It's not one we've touched on yet. We you know we've kind of talked about shoulder, we've talked about knee and, and even spinal, uh, paraspinal tissues, but plantar fasciitis is, is a pretty difficult one to solve in a lot of cases. Every case it seems to be a little bit different. Uh, And laser therapy, we know that light therapies and laser therapy can be of definite benefit in plantar fasciitis. But as I was going through some of those studies, uh, one of the reviews I looked at, they used musculoskeletal ultrasound as well to evaluate the plantar fascia. So the title of that study is Parameters and Effects of Photobiomodulation in Plantar Fasciitis, A Meta-Analysis and Systematic Review. And, And in that one, they looked at a lot of different studies that were... Uh, showing positive results of using light therapy on the plantar fascia, uh, improving pain levels, but also improving uh, the foot function, and then looking at the thickness of the plantar fascia using diagnostic ultrasound. So first of all, first question there is, how easy is it to identify and evaluate the plantar fascia with ultrasound? And then why does that matter?
0: Um, that to. To sonographically evaluate the insertion of the plantar fascia on the calcaneus is a very simple, straightforward imaging uh, process. You know, the patient is, it should be laying prone on the table, the foot extended off the end of the examination table, and you place the transducer on the bottom of their foot on the heel, identify the uh, cortical margin, the bony acoustic landmark of, of the calcaneus, and then you should be able to identify that insertion of the plantar fascia on that bone. Um, so that's the imaging process. Um, the the thickness of the plantar fascia, it, with reference to this specific article, my understanding of the article is, is the patients that they examined um, were post NSAID uh, um, treatment patients. They they received more than likely they're not going to do oral steroids to treat plantar fasciitis. You know, so they're going they're going to inject. Uh, steroids into that person's foot, which by the way, there's no fun way to put a needle in somebody's foot. Um, when I do it, I do nerve blocks. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're going to keep them much more comfortable. Um, but uh, so these patients are post uh treatment patients. And the literature is replete with documentation that steroid injections will, in fact, uh, denigrate or or cause a breakdown of tendons and, and fascia, things like that. So their, um, their initial finding sonographically of a thinner plantar fascia was true, that's positive. But then the post-treatment, you know, after the, the laser light therapy, a thicker plantar fascia indicates to me that, that there's some type of uh, regenerative uh, healing type of process that The laser light therapy gave you to give you a a thicker more healthy looking plantar fascia because if you stop and think about the word fasciitis okay itis means inflammation right so if that patient that you know pre-treatment had a thin plantar fascia and was diagnosed with plantar fasciitis then if that thin little fascia was inflamed they're in trouble, <laughs> you know. Like they <laughs> rupture, you know. And so the laser light therapy increased the integrity or the substance of the fascia, making it stronger, thus more functional. You know. So that's my that's my take on it. Because I, like I said, the the steroid injections will uh, have an adverse effect on that on that fibrous anatomy.
1: Excellent. Yeah. No, I think I think it it says a lot to be able to see the results of what treatment you're doing, and and that goes for laser therapy, of course. But really, no matter what you're doing, you know, I know you've got a lot of experience with the regenerative medicine and PRP. To be able to see the effects of that regenerative therapy has to be good, not only for you as a clinician, but then for the patient as well.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah. The, the um uh. It, I mean, I know a lot of the times, like when I'm. It, we, like for you too probably like if you, if you show a patient an ultrasound image um, it, it may be you know completely you know like they don't understand it but uh, if you can point out a few things on the ultrasound image like th- this is your problem right here then they they can identify some of the findings and therefore patient compliance uh comes it, it increases or like oh yeah I, I, saw, I saw an image and you know it can uh, uh, it, it's just something that i need the treatment for so the patient compliance is better you as the practitioner get to actually you have that objective finding you know um to uh, to rely upon and then you can come back later and do post-treatment images like they did in, the, in these studies you know that really it kind of makes your treatment recommendations what i describe as like live up to the hype. you know it's like if you tell a patient you can help them for you did, to prove it with visual images is like that that makes the patient feel better makes you as a practitioner much more confident you know and Mm -hmm. i think that's a wonderful addition to the practice
1: oh for sure and and we're not talking a two or three thousand dollar mri that has to be you know patients have to go and lay there for an hour in a tube and listen to the clanging and you know i mean it it, mris are great i don't want to be too down on mris i think they're extremely useful in a lot of circumstances but how often can you really get a good follow-up mri i mean no, there's not an insurance company out there that's going to be like, oh, sure, just go get another MRI so you can show me how good the patient feels. <laughs> You're not right. going to get that. Yeah, yeah. But you can do that exactly. with ultrasound.
0: Exactly, and you can do it actually uh, in the in the pre-treatment uh, phase as well, because basically every ultrasound system out there has that uh, a split screen mode, so you can you can in the moment show the patient here's the good side, here's the bad side, and then they really pick up on that. Like if it, you can show them. You know, like if their left rotator cuff is hurting, you know, they can, you can show them the same image of the supraspinatus on the left and the same image on the right, and they can sit there and look at it and say, oh, yeah, I, I get it, you know. And then, again, the patient compliance, your your treatment becomes much more specific, you know, and it all works quite well.
1: Excellent. Well, I have been uh, engaged with your training, your online training platform Um, For a while now, and I want to say that I've been very impressed. It's extremely thorough. Um, I feel like I can watch one of your lectures and I get everything that I need to as far as, you know, images on screen to show me what things should look like. Uh, What to look out for when I'm performing scans and and specifically how to perform these scans so that you don't miss things as a clinician. It's really convenient because I can access I can get it online uh, through over my phone even and be able to watch the video. If I've got a patient coming in for a specific problem and I'm thinking, man, I just really would like to refresh, I can pull up the video that I want to see, rewatch it quickly, and then be ready to go for that scan. So it's been extremely convenient and I feel really good about being able to uh, take the MSK uh, exams myself, hopefully in the pretty near future. Uh, But right now, you guys are also offering a free five-day challenge course through MSK Masters. And in the challenge course, you get uh, introduced to the imaging fundamentals, as well as some of the common scans and procedures like like the shoulder. Uh, we've got a link to this course in the show notes, but you can go uh, straight to it by going to mskmasters.com slash LTI. That'll get you free access to this five-day challenge course. You can just start learning about what ultrasound might be able to do for you in practice. And you can also see Dr. Moore's teaching style and the thoroughness of the materials that he's presenting as well so doc thanks for being able to offer that i think that's i i did that before uh becoming a a customer and really decided that you know is information i could trust and information that was uh, you know it's a great platform yeah
0: yeah it's been it's a great introduction for people that are unfamiliar with diagnostic ultrasound in the musculoskeletal application and once you complete the the five-day challenge you know the you got to get rewarded for taking five days of your time, but it's not all day. I think it's like 30 minutes a day or something like that. Um, but uh, then you, you get a little discount on the curriculum too. So
1: Nice. Awesome. So the address for that again is mskmasters.com slash LTI for that free five-day challenge course. You got nothing to lose. Check it out. At least you'll know a little bit more about ultrasound and I, I do think if you're in, engaged in any kind of physical medicine practice, whether that's PT, chiropractic, physiatry, Doc, I know you've trained all kinds of different providers, right?
0: Yeah, I've, I've pretty much done the full gamut of, um, you know, rheumatology, sports medicine, uh, orthopedists. It took a while to get them to listen to me. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, sports medicine guys, as you said, PTs, Nurse practitioners, physician assistants, you know uh, everybody. And now the thing with the uh, the practitioners using the laser light therapy, you know, I think that's a whole new arena because uh, there's a lot of people out there using this kind of therapy. Now, if they can, you know, couple some images with, with the patient response, uh, then I think everybody's much more convinced about the effectiveness of it.
1: Totally, totally. No, that's that's great. Well, check out that free five-day challenge course on the website, and if you're needing any assistance getting the right ultrasound device, I know Dr. Moore would be of assistance with that too, but check out that challenge course first. See what you think. Could it be useful in practice? You can also reach out to us here at LTI with any questions. We'll be happy to forward information on to Dr. Moore and his crew there at MSK Masters. If you need help getting the right laser device or safety and certification training for your staff for your providers. If you need protocols and settings for laser therapy, check us out at lasertherapyinstitute.org. But Dr. Moore, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great week in practice and look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah,
0: my pleasure, Jason. Thank you for having me on.
1: Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.